we're going to uh, begin our Christmas uh, series today. Uh, let us look to the Lord, Lord with a word of prayer before this morning's message. <laughs> Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask this in Jesus, our rock and our strength. Amen. Well, for uh, years now, uh, I can't remember, eight years I've been the pastor here. Some of you think it's been too long. Some of you, maybe not long enough. But uh, we have been here in Ray as a pa- and I've been here in Ray as the pastor for uh, quite a while now. And one of the things that I see as my calling, uh, that's a religious way of saying job. One of the things that I see as my job is to help everyone be convinced that following Jesus Christ is the best way to live. That following Christ, you will never have regrets if you choose to follow him. And one of the things that I see as my call, as my job in Ray, is to every week kind of recharge your battery, kind of re-energize you. Because my guess is, if you're like me, when you leave this place, there's stuff that happens in life that tends to beat down that notion. There's things that happen in life that convince you or at least seek to convince you or war against this idea that following Jesus is the best way to live. Has anybody experienced that? And things happen in our personal lives, in our health, in our bodies, in our families, in our finances, in our jobs, in our places of employment, in the businesses we own. Things happen in town, at a national level. Things happen in the world. There's stuff always seeming to beat down this idea that following Jesus is a good idea. And if you're a parent... Part of your job, part of your calling as a parent is to convince your kids that following Jesus is the best way to live. And do you know what the best way to convince a child of anything is? To model it, to do it yourself. Do you know how I know that's true? Because I was once a kid and I watched my parents And there are things that when I watch them, I would say, I'll never do what they did. And then I find myself in a very similar situation and I'm doing what I saw. Kind of freaky, isn't it? When you think about that, this is not a message on parenting, but we'll do one next year sometime. And by the way, it doesn't come from an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to talk about this, this beating down we get in this world and the the beating that the idea that following Jesus is the best way to live takes and i want to kind of camp out on that and really look at what happens when we when we actually get so weary so tired that we just feel like cashing in and going our own way what happens? What does God require or expect of us? So what, what does he want us to do when we're just tired? Does he even know? Does he even care when we get discouraged and down and tired and beat up? 
We just don't feel like going on any longer. And we're just on the verge of going, you know what? I know what Steve says, but I'm not so sure. And what happens, by the way, this is a pass, This is a message for me today. Because what happens when the guy who gets up every week says, following Jesus is the best way to live, and then he struggles sometimes with going, I don't know, I might need a break. <laughs> I could take a year off from this following Jesus thing because it's proving hard. And what do we do when we get there? And is there anything God does when we get to that place? Now, you might think this is the weirdest Christmas message I've ever heard in my life. I mean, shepherds, angels, Jesus, where's all that stuff? Well, we're going to get to that because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Isaiah 40. And before we get into this passage in Isaiah 40, I want to set the historical context that this happens in. One of the things that happens when we read the prophets is oftentimes we just kind of think these were like religious sages that sat around on mountaintops and said crazy things that had absolutely nothing to do with everyday life. But that's not at all what happened. Isaiah and the other prophets speak into actual history, actual circumstances that the nation of Israel found themselves in. And so I want us to think through the history a little bit. And so, Sam, if you would put a map on the board for me, because this will help set the stage. You need this map. I was going to build one to scale, but I wasn't able to today. Um, Now, Perhaps growing up in church or being here for any time or or even just reading the Bible on your own, you've come across this notion of the divided kingdom and the divided kingdom of Israel happened after um, the reign of Solomon and his son, uh, part of of Solomon's uh, or part of David's sin with Bathsheba was that the, 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 the kingdom was going to be divided. And so the kingdom becomes divided after Solomon's reign and it becomes divided. And let me use my little laser pointer. Can everybody see that? Isn't that cool? This part up here in the north, it retains the name Israel and there's 10 tribes up there. And then down here in this red portion here, that is not to represent Yuma. That is Judah. That's Judah. And Judah is two tribes and they retain the name. They actually add the name of Judah and they actually retain the capital of Israel, Jerusalem in the south in Judah. Okay, and so when the kingdoms divide, they divide north south. And now they are weaker because they're not working together. And there's. Good kings and there's evil kings. Now, one thing that's really easy to keep in mind when you're reading First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, any of those books, none, none of the kings in Israel were ever any good. They're bad kings. Judah was a mixed bag. They had some good kings and they had some really bad kings. Okay? It was up and down. And the main reason why the kings in the north were never any good was because they set up places in the north for the people to worship God at. They set up alternative locations from Jerusalem, God's holy city, for them to worship at. And that was uh, an abomination to God. God got really ticked off 
because they were setting up their own religious system, one that he did not set up for them. And they set that up in the north so that the people would have their own identity and they wouldn't have to go south to Jerusalem to worship God. Okay. And in the south, there were kings who would encourage the worship of God, of Yahweh at the temple and the sacrifices and the and they would follow the Torah. And then there were other kings who just tossed that aside and who followed the gods of the of the pagans of the Canaanites, as you might have read in the Bible, the Philistines, the people that used to live there before they took this land. Now, uh, there's this other nation up here called Aram. And in the time that Isaiah writes and the historical situation that's going on is that the king of Israel and the king of Aram decide that they want to go to war against the king of Assyria. Now, I didn't have enough space on this wall to show the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria is not a nation. It's an empire at this time. And these two itty bitty kings decide, let's go take on the big Satan. Okay. Let's go take on Assyria. And part of their plan is let's get the king of Judah to back us. Let's get Judah's armies involved too. Let's have our three nations go and make war on Assyria. Now, this is a really bad idea because even nowadays, Scholars believe that the Assyrian way of torturing people and retaliating against those who who fought them are some of the most gruesome means of torture that humans have ever devised. And so the king in Judah, at this point, his name is Ahaz, and he is a bad king. At one point, he even sacrificed his own children to the god Molech. I know, parents, you feel like that sometimes? No. <laughs> the times you try to give them away, though. And uh, they, the Ahaz sacrificed his own kids to the god of Molech. He actually closed down temple worship for a time in Jerusalem. And he has turned his back completely on God. And he is in a strange situation because, think about it, if he does not go with these kings to invade Assyria, do you think those kings might turn and invade Judah? I mean, which is going to be easier to take on? Little bitty Judah or Assyria? So he's in a catch because if he goes with them, he knows that certain death. But if he doesn't go with them, he knows that certain death. And either way, Judah is not going to escape. Have you ever been between a rock and a hard place in life? Have you ever been in a place in life where you just don't know what to do? Because if you step this way, your toes get cut off. But if you step this way, your other toes get cut off. I mean, either way you go, it's it's a no win. It's a lose lose. And Ahaz is in that lose lose place. And what's worse is he's not convinced that following God is the best way to live. In fact, he spent his lifetime. He came to the throne when he was 20 years old and he spent his life defying the Torah, the teachings of Yahweh in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. He spent his life demonstrating that he doesn't believe any of that stuff, that there's better ways to live. And it used to be that when 
Israel came under pressure from outside nations, their king, their priests, their prophets could go to temple and they could pray to God to intervene. But now they don't have a king that will seek God. This is a really bad place to be. And some of you have been in this place. Some of you have been in a place where either because you just have gotten the snot beat out of you in life that you have become convinced that God doesn't care about me. God's not working on my behalf. God's not alive. He's not active. I don't see any shred of evidence that he's doing anything. And I'm not convinced that following him is the best way to live. Some of us have been to this place. Ahaz. The people of Judah have been to this place. And we're going to find out what God has to say to them in that place. When you're weary, when you're tired, when you're beat down, and you're convinced that God's not active. That God's not doing anything. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Listen to how God talks. Because... Often when we think of the prophets, we think of these crazy, white-headed, hair, you know, with crazy, bad turn or burn messages, right, for the people. But listen to how Isaiah starts this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know what God is saying here? These situations that have come up, this rock in this hard place that you find yourself in, isn't the result of sin. It's not the result of you not being faithful to me. It's a little shocking that he would start out this way. Comfort my people speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Did you know that there are times that we just have life beat us down and we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place and it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because we sinned when we were little kids and now we're getting what we deserve. You know, parents sometimes use that on us, right? You know, someday you'll have your own kids and you'll find out. And we think, well, you know, it, it's like this, it's like this, uh, it's like this karma way of life that you get what you deserve. That's just bad, bad theology. Because here God is saying, you're not getting what you deserve. In fact, you find yourselves between a rock and a hard place because, because you're between a rock and a hard place. This is where you're at. As part of living in a fallen world, sometimes you get in these kind of spots. Anybody been there? The people of Judah are there. And God says, comfort my people. It goes on in verse 3. And this is where the con Christmas connection is, because if you paid any attention to that song, Behold the Lamb of God, which are the words of John the Baptist, he quotes this passage. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. 
But God, I don't see that there's any evidence that you are alive or active. But God is saying, be ready. Make straight the path of the Lord. I'm about to show up and do something. How many of you could stand to see God show up and do something where you're at? How many of you, for a long time, you've been praying about a a marriage that just isn't getting better? And it's just to the point where you're like, man... I have friends who haven't put up with near as much as I've put up with, and they're divorced, and it looks like things are working out for them. Why am I just trying so hard to be faithful here? I mean, there's no fault divorce in Colorado. Why don't I just, why don't I just cash my chips and move on? Or some of you, because of decisions you've made to, to follow Jesus and how you conduct business, you have lost contracts and opportunities. You've lost clients because you've decided that, no, I'm not going to cut that corner, that, no, I'm not going to say that on this form, that, no, I'm going to act with integrity. But you see them go down Main Street to another person and they do what they want. And they cut those corners and they fill out that form that way. And they seem to be okay. They seem to be better than you. Is it worth it? Should we stay faithful when it seems that God is not faithful? He's not acting? But here his words for Judah... I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. Skipping down to verse 12. Now, before they decide to cash in, God asks them some questions. And I love that God asks us questions instead of, you know, I'm actually convinced this might be a good parenting tip. Sometimes it's better to ask your kids some questions to get them thinking. Because... <laughs> If your kids are like my kids, it seems that thinking is optional. And if you're at all like me, your relationship with God and with others, sometimes thinking is optional for us. And so instead of God just saying, let me tell you something who you're dealing with here. He asked some questions um, before you cash it in. Judah, and turn your back on me. Let me ask you a few questions. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) Is it the king of Aram? Is it the king of Israel? Is it the king of the Assyrians? The people go, well, no. Um... Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Uh, Is it the king of Aram? Is it the king of Israel? Is it the king of Assyria? I mean, before you turn your back on me, I just want you to, to think about this. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsel? Whom... Did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? You? Me? You see, when I read that, I start realizing uh, there's times I try to inform God as to how he's missing something in my life. 
Anybody done this? Hey, God, just a heads up. I'm now 35 years old and I'm still waiting. I, 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 I'm now uh, sick and my body's failing me. Hello? Noticed? God, that kid of mine, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And they don't listen. Like you, kind of, God, it feels. God, I am stuck in this relationship and I am so worn out, tired. And God says, uh, who are you to enlighten me? Who enlightens him? He already knows this stuff. He doesn't need to be refreshed or informed or counseled by you or I. He knows this. Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. (laughs) They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. You know what Assyria and Aram and Israel look like to me, says God? They're like dust. That problem you're having, Ahaz and Judah, let's put it into perspective. My perspective, says God. Now, verse 17. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. You see, sometimes when we run into problems, we need perspective. 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? You see, God is trying to tell them this problem that is a rock and a hard place to you is to me, God, no big deal. Who can act? Who can help you with this? Who can get you through this, says God? But hey, if you want to go your own way, you're not convinced that I am the best way. Give it a try. You see, that's what I love about God. He's not in heaven with like some giant switch ready to smack you in the line. He's not in heaven just going, just just wait. (laughs) Gotcha. He's not at all like that. He says, if you want to try the other way, go for it. The crazy thing is, Ahaz went his own way, and we'll see that next week. Now, verse 21. He's got a few more questions for them. He still is not convinced that they understand who they're dealing with. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. If Christopher Columbus had read this text, he would have sailed around the world much sooner. The circle (laughs) right there in the Bible. You should read this book. It's pretty good. Um, He is up in heaven, he's in a tent, and we are like grasshoppers. The king of Aram, a grasshopper. King of Israel, a grasshopper. King of Assyria, a grasshopper. Your health issues, a grasshopper. That child that won't listen to you, a grasshopper. That employer 
that doesn't treat you right. A grasshopper. That spouse that after 25 years of marriage still hasn't changed. A grasshopper. So what does, do, what does God do with grasshoppers? Well, he just tells us that's what they look like. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. We live in a farming community. Does that make any sense to anybody here? That last part? You've seen that? You see, that's what the nations and the rulers of this world look like to God. And not just nations and rulers, but issues in my life and in your life. Those things that discourage me, those things that beat down the notion that following Jesus is the best way to live. That rock and that hard place, it's like dust before God. Now, if I'm still not convinced, verse 25, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And Steve, when you really need some perspective, why don't you tonight lift up your eyes and look to the heavens? Who created all these? That's God's commandment to be an astronomer. Who, he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I mean, if you're really not convinced that God is powerful, that God is big, go outside tonight. I used to have a practice. I have kind of gotten away from it, but I used to have a practice when I was younger that I would go on walks most nights and, uh, I, I would just walk when it was dark and the stars were out and I'd spend time in prayer. And, and that time often helped me. You know why that helped me so much? Because of what he says next. Why do you complain, Jacob or Steve? Put your name in there. <laughs> why do you say Steve or Israel or your name in there. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. God, in other words, you're not paying attention to me. You seem to have forgotten me. Then God says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding. No one can fathom. And here's why those walks at night praying to God strengthened me. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in your translation might say wait in the Lord will renew their strength. Anybody heard that verse before? Those who wait, who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That word about that's translated hope or wait. It's an interesting word. A word picture that helps you feel that this word means is picture a thief waiting for you to leave your home. <laughs> picture a thief who is waiting with anxious expectation to bust into your home. That's kind of negative. 
Think of a child on Christmas Eve, anxiously awaiting for Christmas morning. Think of a bride and a groom, anxiously awaiting, expectantly awaiting and hoping for their marriage, their wedding day. You see, this isn't waiting like this. <sighs> okay, God, any time now. <laughs> it's not waiting like in line at Alco <laughs> or Walmart. This is waiting for Christmas morning. Is that a different kind of waiting? Does that feel a little different, that kind of waiting? Those who wait like that, those who hope like that, they are the ones that God strengthens. The ones who are waiting expectantly for God to show up are the ones God strengthens. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So what happens when we are so worn out and discouraged and we are just going, you know, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure if following Jesus is the best way to live. What does God say? I am more glorified in you expectantly hoping and waiting that I'll show up than if you cash it in. I am more glorified, says God. I am given more honor. I am given more credit if you remain faithful when it seems that I'm not active. Anybody feel like it'd be really nice, good timing if God would show up soon? I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life, uh, but just in the world in general, is there enough going on that you think, boy, <laughs> just be really, hey, God, forgot about us? Anytime now, be great, show up. And you know what God is saying to us through this passage? And you know what the message of Christmas is? Do you know what we celebrate at Christmas time? If you watched Shrek's Christmas special last week, he didn't get it right. It's not about gifts. It's not even about family. It's about waiting expectantly, hopefully, that God's going to show up and do something. Now, why can we hope like that? Because he's done it before. The first Christmas. You see, this passage of Scripture was written 735 years before the birth of Jesus. Next week, we'll come back to this story and we'll see actual prophecies of the Messiah, of Emmanuel, of God with us. Spoken 735 years before Jesus showed up. You and I live in an in-between time between when he showed up the first time and when he'll show up the second. And how are we supposed to live? I hope and pray that you will live 
as if following Jesus is the best way to live. That you'll be convinced of that in the very core of your being. And when the world beats you up and tries to beat that out of you, that you will remain faithful to God even when He's not appearing to be active. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that uh, You understand that we are weary sometimes and tired. Thank You that You understand that it is difficult sledding sometimes because we just sometimes don't have enough (laughs) clues to go on. Sometimes it looks like not following Jesus is a good idea. Lord, thank You You understand that. And you have given us passages like this to encourage us to hang in there, to be faithful, that you will show up at the right time. Father, help us to wait well with anticipation in our hearts and hope on our lips. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, especially when you need it most. Especially when you are in a, between a rock and a hard place. Especially when you are being beaten up. And you're not convinced that following Jesus is the best way to live. May you wait and hope in the Lord and be strengthened. Amen.